Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times calls this movie a well-made thriller, tense and involving. And the scary thing in these months after Watergate is that it's all too believable. Chris Pettit of Time Out says, The action rarely falters, and at its best, the film offers an intriguing slice of neo-Hitchcock. And Letterboxd user Superpulse calls it, A movie about sinister forces at work in the CIA, with big scenes set at the World Trade Center and in a Ford Bronco? It's like the nexus of all conspiracy theories. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Three Days of the Condor. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. Hey, everybody. Hello, Dan. How is everything? Everything is is happening, you know? Everything is... <laughs> everything is happening. Everything is happening, and, you know, life is a highway, and I'm going to ride it. You know what, Dan? Whenever I'm tasked with thinking about what song I'm going to put at the end of a an episode, and I have used it before... Yes. But my first instinct is to go with life as a highway every single time. It is a it, it is a constant standby that yes, it is when in doubt, life is a highway. Tom Cochran don't know if he if he wrote any other songs, he didn't have to. I don't even know if he wrote that one, but Well, what's so funny he, is that it does work for like summing up any movie where it's like things are going to happen. Just roll Life with it. Life is a highway. See what you happens. You gotta ride it all night long. <laughs> and daytimes as well. Oh, Dan. So I have a couple of things that I want to bring up as we are on the heels of the intro. And I want to, first of all, ask you, at what point do we can we stop saying Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times? Everybody knows who Roger Ebert is. Uh, yeah, you know what? I... I, I I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to speak on behalf of 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 the listeners, the Starfighters, the Squadron. Yeah, and it's the Roger Ebert. That's I'm it. I'm going to say we can just say Roger Ebert. Are there any who else like Pauline Kale? Does Pauline Kale need like do we need to I don't know. I know it's like Roger Roger Ebert is kind of Roger Ebert I was Roger Ebert really like the first kind of like mainstream celebrity film critic. Well, I mean, he was doing it, you know, he's been at well, it for a long time. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, for Three Days of the Condor, that was a very current review right. uh, that, that he was giving. Um, I mean, and of course, his his partnership, uh, entertainment-wise, with, with Gene Siskel, of course, is legendary. And, uh, you know, if you've, then you've got your Leonard Maltin... Um, you're Gene Shalit. Gene Shalit. I, you know, we haven't had any Gene Shalit coming up. I don't think that his reviews end up on Rotten Tomatoes, where we source most of these, or uh, if that they are uh, archived on Letterboxd. <laughs> right. I'm just, I'm thinking of all of the the critics that were it, it. It was all of the big mainstream critics growing up. That it was like, oh, oh, okay. Well, they like Leonard Malton of Entertainment Tonight recommended right. it. 
Yeah, and, and Leonard Malton also of all of the Leonard of Malton books and Leonard Malton yeah. of Gremlins too. That's right. His uh, his screen debut, I believe. I don't know if he's ended up in other things as himself. I yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, if not, that's such a fantastic cameo. If you're gonna have like one screen appearance, yeah, and I, I would pick that one. And also, Leonard Malton himself just sounds like a really decent, fun guy. He's still active. He's been, uh, you know, doing things with his daughter, Jesse Malton. Uh, I think they have a podcast together, uh, among other things they've got cooking. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad that he's still doing his thing. Malton and talking. I think it's Malton at the movies, something um, like that. Of course. Malton and talking. Uh, yeah. The other thing that I want to mention is that it's interesting that we have you know, Roger Ebert reflecting on the movie at at its release, you know, really speaking to the, you know, the reality of the Watergate scandal as it relates to this movie that has just come out. And then we have somebody uh, on Letterboxd who's very speaking about things in, in a modern day from a modern day perspective, and of course we'll talk about it as we get into Three Days of the Condor, you know, talking about the World Trade Center, which plays heavily in this in this movie. But uh, yeah, pretty fascinating. Yeah. So, um, and also just to, you know, formally uh, welcome welcome everyone. Oh. And uh, yeah. Greetings. We, uh, we started off pretty formal with the greetings. Oh. Yeah, no, great. Yeah, no, I know. We launched in and, uh, you know, just to, we're we're here to to figure out what what would the best possible thing to do if these properties need to be re- revived. And you know, what's funny is along those lines and just thinking about looking looking at all of the the different movies that have come out especially now like we're 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 in summer movie season which is weird because yeah. it's like going back to movie theaters is is not what it what it was and uh so but we're getting into that like summer movie season and i was thinking about summer summer's past and movie seasons of summer's past and and you also you think about just the number of movies that come out that are either sequels prequels you've got your godzilla versus kongs your cruellas yeah you've got a quiet place part two quiet place part two yeah um and i mean you know you've got a few originals out there but they don't necessarily get the 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 pump and circumstance and even even something like in the heights sure um, yeah it's an adaptation it's an adaptation when you look at I was I was looking at and and this is un this is unfair because this is like you know the maybe the summer that set the standard, but 1984. <laughs> okay, and you just look at the the originality in the movies that were coming out and how these were even even the big budget like the huge blockbusters Ghostbusters Gremlins Karate Kid Beverly mm-hmm. Hills Cop, they were all. I don't know. There was something more inventive about them. And even though like maybe it wasn't the most, you know, like, you know, Gremlins is, is kind of, you know, based on some older ideas and didn't uh, wasn't Karate Kid originally written by Charles Dickens. 
young Pip LaRusso. <laughs> Of From Newark, Newark Wales. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this bicycle. <laughs> okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> so eighty-four. Yeah, we've so got a lot of original. I'm just thinking about like all yeah. the just the. I mean, if you and if you look at the sequels that came out it, that year, it was and and I know Muppets Take Manhattan. I, the Muppets movies don't build off of one each other. I, no, I don't. They're think all of them. standalone. Yeah, so Muppets Take Manhattan came out summer '84, but I don't, I don't count that. The sequels that were coming out were like there was a Friday the Thirteenth sequel, mm-hmm. Star Trek Three, okay, Search for Spock, and I feel like there was like maybe one more movie that I came across that came out that summer that was a a sequel, okay. And I can't, and and I don't think it was anything very, you know, it was it, it was back when you like your your franchises were pretty much just like Star Trek and horror movies. Sure. So this was pre even like at that point, you know, Star Wars was a tr- oh Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Hello, right? Yeah, that was the this a prequel actually, right? That prequel to Raiders of of the Lost Ark, and um, you know, of course, here we are. It's 2021, and in production, we've got pictures floating around the internet of yeah. of Harrison Ford in the indie costume. And may I just say, I recently watched Expendables three. Okay. I watched is a is a loose term for it, but I recently had Expendables three on. Harrison Ford is having so much fun, or at least he's looking like he's having Uh so much fun compared with anything he's done in the last like fifteen years. He even has a line where he talks about he's he's like he's like flying a helicopter. He's like, I haven't had this much fun in years. Well, like I can tell Harrison, it feels so good. As somebody who is the parent to an almost four year old who really loves the movie The Secret Life of Pets 2, in which Harrison Ford plays a dog named Rooster. He's really, you know, he's putting in the time. He's putting in the work on that one. I think Harrison Ford might have more fun doing like animation and right. And and voiceover because he, he, and it's a lot of it's a lot of work. I mean, sure. Hell, I just I read ten pages of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban to to my daughter, um, before coming down to record this. I was like spent after reading ten uh-huh. pages of it. So it's not that it's not hard work, but it's like. You don't like you show up in sweatpants, and it's like you could right, like, yeah, and, like voiceover artists. Uh, I'm sure they were affected by the all the the COVID related shutdowns, but by that stage in the game, voiceover artists have their own have home studios and they're doing yeah, they're recording a lot of at home, have been figuring so it out. They're so it's like they're they're working, and the rest of us just got to kind of you know sort of half experience what they get. I mean, yeah, you don't have to unless they're shooting like a behind the scenes featurette that day, right? Yeah. And you probably have to dress up yeah, a little bit. So before we get into Three Days of the Condor, I want to talk about a couple of news bits that I saw floating around. Dan, did you hear about the uh, the movie that Rob Zombie is allegedly working on? Oh, 
Wait, what is it again? Yes, I heard about this and I'm blanking. He's doing a Munsters movie. Yes, okay. I knew it was something, I was like, my in my brain it was wanting to say Beetlejuice and I knew that that wasn't it. No, but- yeah, Munsters. I'm so curious to see how this is going to take shape. I love that Rob Zombie is doing it. You know, he definitely has a a style. And, you know, the Munsters is, you know, a goofy 60s, maybe even 50s uh, sitcom, uh, you know, that is just about this family of essentially the universal monsters. And, uh, yeah, you know, I'm just I am so curious to see what he's going to do with it. I'd have to say, and I, I, I always enjoyed watching reruns of the Munsters yeah. growing up. Always, always thought that was a fun show. Love, uh, you know, Fred, Fred Gwynn, uh, Yvonne sure. DiCarlo, and um, Grandpa Al Lewis, and I, the the Rob Zombie, and I don't know if it was like the pro, like like he was chosen for it or he was like I've got an idea for a monsters movie, uh-huh. I'm gonna make it. It's kind of the only I was thinking about, it and I was like, I don't know how else. Like I could be this interested right. in a Munsters movie and have like such high hopes for it. Yeah. Because otherwise it would just be like, okay, what are they? Is it going to be like the Brady Bunch movie, which was awesome, but right. It, but it you can't do done. that again. Right. Yeah. Right. So to hear that, like, okay, Rob Zombie is doing like House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects, Rob yeah. Zombie is doing the Munsters. Okay. Well, we'll just see. I'm, I'm looking interested. forward to to finding out. I mean, he's definitely got a sense of humor, and who knows who knows how Rob Zombie is going to end up being. There's another bit of uh, news that I did see, and this one there's no script, there's no writers. Not sure if the uh, originals are directing it, but they are allegedly producing it. But the uh, there is allegedly a Kingpin sequel in the works, according to Slash Film. So Farrelly Brothers are on board for producing. No information about if they're directing or who's writing anything, but that's just something I saw that's worth mentioning. Interesting. I'm trying to think of uh, like Farrelly Brothers movies that I've had seen, like Dumb and Dumber. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's been any other Farrelly brother. Those movies, you know, mostly stand on their own. Uh-huh. Yeah. And but they did the, was, didn't they do like the Heartbreak Kid remake? Oh, was, was that, that was that a Farrelly thing? If not, it felt like them. Yeah, I know. I think you're right. I think that was, I think they did the, right, the Heartbreak Kid remake. But I don't. I don't think they've sequel. There wasn't like me, myself, no. and Irene and herself, right? Uh, no. Or yeah. Uh, yeah, there's something else about Mary. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, so we'll we'll see about that. We'll okay. see if that continues on. Hey, I, you know, I love. I thought Kingpin was was great. I don't know that yeah. it ever called for a sequel. <laughs> nope. But whatever. Uh, so, Dan, anything that you want to talk about before we move on to Three Days at the Condor? Maybe something about Serial Mom or the John Waters verse? Oh, no. But you know what? Now that you mentioned the John Waters verse, uh, <laughs> that just that's something that just sounds like, well, I guess Baltimore is the John Waters verse. Right. right? Yeah. Um, although it's interesting. So I was listening to um, 
John Waters' interview with Mark Marin on WTF, mm-hmm. and they talk about the uh, like other filmmakers from Baltimore who make films about Baltimore, like uh, Barry Levinson, and uh, they mentioned like David Simon uh, did The Wire. Okay, right. And it was funny because Waters was kind of like, we all, he was talking about Baltimore and just how like, how Baltimore is just this kind of like, you know, know, weird little uh, like city with all of these, you know, little like subcultures and communities. Right. And it made me think of like, maybe the, like the Baltimore verse. So I'm like, I I would just be... I, I don't think I would ever want to do anything with this, but I'm just like, like imagine watching the scenes in diner and divine comes in and right. Know, right. Sits down at a, at a booth or. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think it would be interesting to kind of, to do almost like a, uh, a Baltimore film festival and, and say like, sure. okay, well, what, yeah. what are we, and not just, not just the movies, but like, okay, so what is this showing? Like, what's the reality in Baltimore that we're seeing here? How is it being represented? How is this filmmaker influenced by, by Baltimore? And yeah, it's just, we, you know, you don't think of Baltimore, like- Baltimore, Baltimore, Baltimore. I'm just trying to, I, I just bringing in the, the Baltimore accent. Baltimore, oh, is that it? I, I, yeah, I, I know some people even, from Baltimore, and I feel like that's along the lines of how it goes. Couldn't even tell you. Have never been. I think I've driven through Baltimore, like on the way to DC. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. But never stopped in Baltimore. So that's the thing. It's like it's just not a location that you normally think of as a place where movies are. I mean, unless you're just like unless like all you watch is like John Waters and Barry Levinson movies. Yeah. Well, we're we're gonna shift gears from Baltimore yeah. and talk about a, a a city that's in a lot of movies, New York City, and uh, yeah, and Hoboken. Yeah, no, oh, I got excited with a lot of the locations, a lot of familiar places. For yes, me. so we're talking the 1975 film Three Days of the Condor. Uh, Dan, before I get into a synopsis, I, I'm curious to know. D- was this your first time seeing this? What's your history with this movie? My history of this movie is that I had, I think I I tried to watch it once, and as I as I do frequently when I start a movie past like six p.m., uh-huh. like nodded off, and didn't never really went went back to finish it. So this was my my first time really like watching it. How uh-huh. about you? You know, I had seen it for the first time maybe a couple months ago, and I really loved it. It's a movie that, you know, I've heard the title before, bopped around a bunch. Um, you know, Robert Redford movies, That I feel like that kind of happens where, you know, it, when it's an actor that's that big, you hear the names of their movies just in a list. And uh, Three Days of the Condor is one that I never really knew about or knew much about. And then, I mean, I definitely like espionage movies, CIA stuff. Uh, I I find that stuff pretty fascinating, conspiracy theory type stuff. Uh, as, if it's not t- taking itself too seriously, I enjoy it. And, um, you know, this is really 
was really enjoyable. It's kind of like a precursor to like the Jack Ryan movies, you know, a low level CIA person who stumbles upon something pretty big and gets really involved. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's cool. And I'm trying to remember, it was this the first time that Robert Redford ever played a CIA agent? I don't know. Very I'm well trying to be. I, 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 I mean, Robert Redford has played so many CIA or former CIA or doing things with the CIA. So he, let's, I'm just trying to go down a mental list. What was the one called he did with Brad Pitt? Is that Spy, spy Game? Game? Yeah, spy so Game. Spy Game. Yeah. Uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, which I I forget if he was CIA in that. Was he CIA? Or? Uh, I I think that it's actually Shield. But Captain America Winter Soldier, which I watched the other night, uh, because of this movie, it you know it was very heavily inspired thematically from Three Days of the Condor, and of course features Robert Redford, uh, on the other side of things, and. Uh, yeah, it's that movie is about this organization within an organization, and that's very much what Three Days of the Condor is about. Actually, I'm just mm-hmm. going to launch into a little, yeah. I just have a short synopsis for this one. When Joe Turner, aka codename Condor, a book reader for the CIA, finds his entire office filled with dead colleagues, he finds himself on a mission to figure out why. Not trusting anyone, He enlists the help of a stranger to give him a place to lay low, but their forced arrangement evolves into a partnership on the streets and in the sheets. Using tactics he read about in books, Joe manages to uncover a group within the CIA and get ahead of them and gets ahead of them at every move. So that's all I got for that one. So uh, Joseph Turner is played by Robert Redford. Kathy Hale is Faye Dunaway. Uh, Higgins, who is the CIA... um, I I don't know what his official position is, but he's kind of Joe's like CIA contact who's kind of, you don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy kind of a situation. He's the the deputy director of the New York division. Gotcha. Okay. So that's Cliff Robertson uh, and his hair, which uh, is pretty wild Uh, in this movie. (laughs) Yeah. Max von Sydow plays Joubert and... A, a a freelance assassin, a hitman, uh, who's excellent. I love him in this. He's so good. Um, yeah, you've got a lot of uh, really, really strong actors in this. John Houseman. Um, who else was there? There was uh, Addison Powell as uh, Leonard Atwood. It's a strong cast, and it's definitely like, that's that mid seventies like espionage conspiracy type movie that I really enjoy, and it moves. It's not like I thought that I would have fallen asleep during this movie easily, but it really, really moves. Yeah, it 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 absolutely moves, and it's yeah, really directed by Sidney Pollack. Hmm. And it's really, yeah, it's, it's intense. There's moments where like the suspense builds and the way that they do it is so like seventies thriller. And it's actually, it's comparable speaking of Watergate and Robert Redford to all the president's men. Right. Which he did right after this. Yeah. So it was a really, 
you know, it's just a well done, like, you know, well told story. And they, they like, you know, build the suspense. It's not necessarily a keep you guessing type thing. It's more of just a what is going to happen next and like what kind of trouble are they going to get into now? Right. It's also just like the process of watching him kind of play games with the CIA based on what he had read. So basically what his, you know what? I'm not going to describe his job. I'm going to let uh, the CIA describe his job. Condor shot us both. Evidently that was the only statement he could make before they took him into the operating room. And the other man, Barber, he's dead? Before he hit the ground, Mr. Atwood. You should add that it was a remarkable shot. Half inch above his flak jacket. I thought this guy wait, was... Wait, wait, wait. Was Condor qualified with a handgun? Two years military service, Signal Corps. Telephone lineman, long line, switchboard maintenance, six months overseas. Separated 961, worked at Bell Labs, Communication Research College on the GI Bill. The question was, Mr. Higgins, is he qualified with a handgun? No handgun, sir. M1 rifle and carbine. Evidently, it was sheer luck. Or else... Yes? Or else what, Mr. Higgins? This Condor isn't the man his file says he is. Then where did he learn evasive moves? He reads. He reads? What the hell does that mean? It means, sir, that he reads everything. I don't understand. Yes. Very good. This operation's got anything? Absolutely nothing, sir. Extraordinary. It's very well executed. Which requires planning, communications, tracks. I'm not asking for footprints, a blade of grass, a broken twig, something disturbed. Yes, sir. Wick seems to be all we've got. Where do we have him? We don't. They rushed him to Gouverneur Emergency before we got word. Maybe we should leak the name of the hospital, try to get Condor to make his move. Of course, Lemon. Don't expect too many mistakes from this man. After all, he does seem rather more interesting than just another of our reader researchers. For example, has he gone to business for himself? Was he turned around? Did someone operate him? Is he homosexual? Broke? Vulnerable? Could he be a soldier of fortune? Did he arrange the hit? Is that why he's still in flight? Still, he may be an innocent. But then, why didn't he come in gently with Mr. Wicks? So they talk about Wicks, and Wicks is Joe's uh, contact at the CIA office. And... When he finds his colleagues dead, he calls and speaks. Does he speak to Wicks? I can't remember. But the the arrangement is that Wicks is going to meet him in this alley on the Upper West Side, and the uh, and he's like, "But how do I know it's you? I've never met you." Blah 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 blah. And he's like, "Well, why don't we bring your buddy Sam Barber?" So Wicks and Sam are going to the alley. Sam doesn't know what's going on. He's wearing a flak jacket and he's like not really sure what's happening. He doesn't, I don't even think, realize that it has anything to do with Joe until he sees Joe there. And then Wicks tries to 
kill Joe. Joe shoots him in the leg and flees, and Wix shoots Sam in the throat. Well, it's this really intense sequence where Joe's at the end, and, and it's this alleyway that's kind of narrow. It's it's narrow but then it like it expands it like opens up it's kind of like there's yeah. a place where like a garbage truck could pull in and right you know empty a dumpster but so wicks is like off to the side and turner can't see him and it's it's this really it, great build of suspense oh yeah because he's down at one end and he sees sam and sam's like oh hey joe like you know like well, this is an interesting place to meet up, and yeah. So you know, what's, what's oh, also? Yeah, so, uh, go ahead. I was just gonna say it's real. Like you know, something is going to happen. There's a lot of those moments in this movie, and it, I think it's really one of its strengths is that there's all these moments where you know something is going to happen. You're waiting for it to happen. You're anticipating it. Yeah, and then it and then it happens. Yeah, exactly. I uh, I just want to note. And I, I found this very interesting. And when, the first time I watched this, I did this, and then I did it again this time. But I I looked on like Google Maps to see because they tell you exactly where they are, what's what intersection they're at. And I looked for that alley, and of course, it's Street View. You like you can see it and everything. But there is a an episode of the podcast. I believe it's ninety nine percent invisible, where they talk about. These movies that take place in New York where there's an alley and a lot of people, you know, who maybe aren't super familiar with New York, you know, think of New York as having all these alleys because of the movies. But it's really there really aren't any above like a certain street. Like, it's really interesting that there's this alley because it is extremely rare for there to be any alleys in that part of town. They're all, you know, downtown and so a lot of movies, when they're talking about meeting in an alley, they have to specify that it's beneath a certain street. Uh, so when I first heard on the Upper West Side that there was an alley, I like checked the maps and I was like, wouldn't you know it? There is. It's like it's gated off now, but like it's, it's definitely well, yeah, an too many CIA point. meetings happening. There. Yeah, exactly. Too many people getting shot in that alley. Yeah, uh, it's <laughs> it's behind. I want to say the Ansonia building, which is a. I'm, I think it might have been a hotel. I think now it's just kind of like a upscale. I think it's seventy uh, third and Broadway, something like that. Seventy first and Broadway, yeah, maybe. Because we used to, I, I, I used to live seventy fifth and Broadway. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, used to live up there. So they mentioned it at the Ansonia, and I'm like, wait a second. Isn't that right. that, like fancy pants place nearby? <laughs> That's not a fifth floor walk up like like our apartment was. Right. Yeah. So, so it's it's cool. And, and, you know, who doesn't love a movie in like 1970s New York? It's just got like the, the perfect amount of grit. And uh, yeah, it's real fun. Yeah. One thing about this movie, I'm curious to get your thoughts. The music. You know, there are certain places where the music feels a little off to me, but it didn't bother me that much. It definitely stood out. But yeah. It, 
it definitely bothered me more at the beginning because it's this really it's jazzy yeah yeah like like really like yeah it doesn't fit it 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 just doesn't fit (laughs) this doesn't this doesn't work for me like this should be the music i don't know what it it should have been in. I I was like I started to like sing vocals along to it as it was because it just felt like that kind of like jazzy seventies. I I can't think of it right now. And I no, it's yeah, yeah, it's a little out of place. And I don't know. I I don't know if it's just that like this movie wasn't given the love it deserved. I don't I don't know. Like it seemed like that was a point where it's like they took it so far they had. Like, I believe, was it Owen Reisman who was the director of photography? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. it's got all these things dialed in. And then just like the music feels like they really like used up all their budget and were trying to just like figure something out last minute. But I think in, um, um, but Dave Grusin, uh, who, who did the score, had worked with like worked, you know, did scores for Sidney Pollock. Well, I don't I don't know if he did anything before Three Days of the Condor for Pollock, but definitely uh-huh. did uh after that, you know, did uh, uh Tootsie uh-huh. and which, which it, it it very much fits Tootsie. Right. Absolutely. Well Tootsie, if I remember correctly, the music is kind of weird tonally in parts. I'll have to listen back to our Tootsie episode. Notice that I said I have to watch Tootsie again. But I uh yeah, I do remember us talking about how, like, in certain places, the music felt a little weird. And uh, you know, he also did, he did the sc- the score for uh, for the firm. Okay, but I thought his score for the firm was much better, like, s- suited for because the uh-huh. firm is a, is a the the firm has a similar vibe to it and intrigue also directed by, and, yeah. by Sidney Pollock. Yeah. 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 You know, someone finding out, you know, discovering all these all these secrets. And sure. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe it could have been that it was like a studio note that like the music needed to be a little bit lighter. It's like, you know, people are gonna be coming to see Robert Redford and, you know, Faye Dunaway. And, you know, at the of course it's like some of the biggest stars at the time and it's like you know they're going to want to have fun at the movies it can't just be depressing and you know super spy you know dark tones philip glass will not be doing the score for this film yeah so i mean you know you have to remember a lot of those decisions are made by the studios and sometimes you just have to do what they say but yeah i it could have been a studio thing yeah, it, it it could it could have been, um, yeah. So it, but it's a good, uh, you know, it's it's a good movie, right? And the, and the music doesn't it 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 just kind of it threw me off a little bit at the beginning, but right. it it definitely uh, isn't as intrusive later on. So right, yeah. If if we're talking about things that you know were a little bothersome. I feel like I'm not alone in in saying that Joe's relationship with Kathy and the way that he treats her is, and, and then the turn from her being his, you know, being captive to him to them, you know, in the sheets, if you will. 
Uh, and and then the next day they're like partners. So it's like it felt like too sharp of a turn for me. Oh, she makes and all of a sudden she's making all of these jokes about it. And she's like, oh, well, I'm just a spy. Fucker. Well, and let's listen to that clip. Oh, yeah. You didn't sleep well. You didn't? No, you didn't. You're up early. I have. I had some thoughts. I've got a plan. I don't know if it'll work or not, but. I'll need your help. Have I ever denied you anything? Hey. When things quiet down, you're really a very sweet man to be with. You had bad dreams. Talked in your sleep. What did I say? Who's Janice? Was she a volunteer or a draftee like me? She was a friend. She's dead. Do I have permission to take a shower? You don't have to help, you know? Oh, no, no. I'll help. I always depend on the old spy fucker. Love that line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know that's something that I that I feel might have been a, a studio call was like, what we're gonna have Redford and Dunaway in a in a flick, and they're not gonna fuck. Come on, yeah, yeah, that's hey, very well could be. I, I'm curious to know if that's see that's something that would have been in the source material, the book Six Days of the Condor. Uh, I'm glad they condensed it down to three. Uh, <laughs> Three Days of the Condor has a nice ring to it, just as well as six. Um, it sounds like three coins in a fountain. You can sing it to the same tune. Three Days of the Condor. There you go. There you go. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I really love the um, also the interaction when Kathy is like a full partner and she's and she has the interaction with Higgins at the restaurant to kind of get him to come outside so that mm-hmm. uh, Turner can question him. So, uh, yeah, let's check that out. I have this friend, and he asked me to give you a message. Quote, Dear Mr. Higgins, this will introduce a friend of mine, Sparrow Hawk. Please accompany her to the Nassau Street exit of this place. Now. Personally, I do it because he has this huge gun, and he's looking at us right now. She's just so charming. And like, you can't help but, you know, really become attached to her character during this movie. I will say one thing I thought about her in the scene, like that morning after scene that we heard uh, before, is that it's one of the few times that I've seen Faye Dunaway in a movie and felt like she looked like a like a, a real human, a real person. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like and she's just or, ordinarily. Sorry, I, just, I want to. I want to elaborate on that a little bit, just because I feel like in in Bonnie and Clyde, there's something fantastical about her. There, uh-huh. There's something, and then in Network, 
it's like you know she projects this this coldness uh-huh as part of her character i mean you know brilliantly so um same thing in supergirl but uh in in this, like, it was that scene where all of a sudden I was just like, and maybe it's also because I think, like, when I see Faye Dunaway, I just, I think about all of the <laughs> various stories that have been uh, told about her. Though sometimes I, I do wonder if if that's, if if it's more of a case of uh, a, a woman being given a, a hard time for things that men do regularly on, on film sets. I am willing to bet that that's accurate. You know, I was thinking about that scene, and I totally get what you mean by her seeming just like a real person. And I think that it's just a lot of like in the way that she's diffusing tension with humor. And I mean, it's hard to say what anybody else would do in that situation. She is being kidnapped in her own home by a man who says that he's in the CIA and being like hunted down by the CIA and or by somebody. And, uh, you know, it's like, how could you possibly believe that? And he does enough to kind of prove it to her, but still he ties her up to her bathroom so that he can take her car to go do something. And like, yeah, put like ties up her mouth and everything. And it's like, He's really, really rough with her. And, you know, she, I didn't pull this clip, but she, you know, says this thing after he gets back where she's like mentioning how he's been roughing her up. Like, oh, it's actually that, that scene when she's like, you can rough me up all you want, like, you know, about like taking her car. And mm-hmm. uh, he's like, how have I roughed you up? And she, and he's like kind of yelling at her and he's like, I haven't roughed you up. What? I've, I haven't raped you. And she's just like, well, the night is young. And it's like, realistically, you know, as somebody in that situation, that's the first thing that's going to go through their mind is like, you know, being killed or being raped. You know, you're a, a woman who's mostly by herself in New York in the 70s. It's, you know, a, a, a very valid fear. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, she, even though things do lighten up and... I don't know if it is a a sense of Stockholm syndrome where she does decide that she is attracted to him and and they sleep together, but then she's diffusing the tension with humor. And that's a very human thing to do. Yeah. And, you know, it it brings up an interesting point, something that I was thinking about. Uh, And because Faye Dunaway in an interview had talked about how for some of the reaction shots that she needed to have of looking really like terrified of of Turner, they actually shot it with Sidney Pollack doing yeah. it because she was like, I couldn't get, I couldn't feel that type of terror about like Robert Redford. I know, and it, he's it, so it pretty. Me, it made me wonder like, should someone like should Bruce Dern have been cast? <laughs> like, was I mean like? I no, and and I mean I'm ser- like seriously was thinking about it and was like and as as great as Robert Redford is and as as much as Robert Redford is really good at like the espionage thing. Do you think was he? If you think about actors in 1975, was he the was was he really the best choice for this? Uh so. I don't necessarily think so, and I feel this way a little bit about some other like Robert Redford roles where it's like, 
I, you know, he definitely has a leg up on a lot of other actors because he's really pretty. And I, uh, he does a, he does a great job. I feel like somebody whose job it is, is to read books for the CIA. I don't necessarily picture somebody like him. I picture somebody maybe more Dustin Hoffman-y who's, yeah. you know, like yeah. I, if we're talking, <laughs> I mean, their partnership together, but like somebody who's a little like nebbishy and, you know, you could see being very like bookish and stuff. Well, but- and also I feel like, I feel like someone like Dustin Hoffman, cause I have, that's who I have written down. And mm-hmm. I'm also thinking of Marathon Man, which is like yeah. the same year. Uh, yeah. But I, I'm thinking like someone like Dustin Hoffman, I feel like with Robert Redford, it's kind of like, well, y- you trust him. But but really, not just the role of not not just believably being somebody who reads and analyzes for a living, but somebody who you're not sure. Like for for uh, the Faye, Kate, the Faye Dunaway character, for her to be like this guy, this is the type of thing that people say that you, like, oh, the CIA is after. I mean, maybe maybe not so much at 75 because maybe like movies like this is are what made it made that yeah. kind of a common like, you know, oh, yeah, no, that's that is not something that someone that actually happens. Right. But I, I was thinking about like a, a Hoffman, especially like that, you know, mid 70s um, Hoffman in a panicked, paranoid state. Yeah. I would be much less. I I like would, that whole like the night is young thing. It would take on a a, a different air in that right. scene because, like like fidgeting, paranoid Dustin Hoffman is is, is unpredictable and right. You know, is, is you don't you don't know what he's going to do. Whereas Redford is so much more uh, measured. Right. Well. Yes. I, and I feel like in the times where he has to be really firm, it doesn't come across very as naturally as he is when he is being like gentle and, and kind and methodical, you know, yeah. uh, when he's being more forceful, it definitely feels forced. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know. By the way, Dan, you, you mentioned you, you were talking about Faye Dunaway's character and you called her Kate. Her name oh. is Kathy, and and the way I like to think about it is she's Kathy, he's Turner, they're Kathleen Turner. Oh my! <laughs> well, they're and, serial and, mom. Well, and Kathleen Turner, honestly, was uh, what made me think twice about Faye Dunaway uh, being difficult on set because I was reading an article with uh, reading an interview with Kathleen Turner, uh-huh. and she talks about. Uh, how she she got that reputation, and she was on set for for a film, and and was like, you know, she she said she would always dream shots the night before they would like she would have a dream about it, and in her dream, and she like showed up to shoot. On Peggy Sue got married, so this is with uh-huh. like Francis Coppola, and she thought, and when the camera wasn't where she had dreamed it would be. She actually like she brought it up and she was like, I I think that like the camera, the camera's supposed to be over there. And Coppola's like, well, it's not. It's it's over here. <laughs> and they had this no and and according to her interview, he said he made her a deal and he was like, Look, you're gonna do as many takes as I want with the camera over there, 
and then we'll do a couple gotcha. with it over there. And uh, according to the interview, what they used in the film was from her camera angle. Really? That she picked. Yeah. And and she made that point of saying, you know, like if if it was like Jack Nicholson on set and because also she was she was also talking in comparison to like Nicolas Cage, who basically did right. whatever he wanted on the yes. set of that. Nepotism. Uh <laughs> But she, uh, you know, she makes the point that it's like if a male actor had done that, especially like, you know, a, a, a you know, a star. Right. They wouldn't. It it would have been it, it it would have been taken differently. Yes, I you know, and that's just systemic justice for misogyny. Kathleen <laughs> yeah, justice yeah. for Kathleen Turner. There's, I'm sure, thousands of stories of actresses and Faye Dunaway and, and Faye Dunaway, and you know, Catherine Heigl, like all the actresses that you hear, like these stories about. You just have to question how much of this is just because they're women. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah. So But she's uh, fine in this. It's Redford who we have the the, the, the I I think that Faye Dunaway is really great in this. I yeah. like her so much. She just feels very authentic as we were saying before. Uh and and you know what? Here's uh here's a little bit of uh Turner questioning Higgins in the car where he is a little bit more forceful. This comes right after uh Kathy takes brings Higgins out of the restaurant uh that we heard before. They could be DFing us if you have a transmitter hidden somewhere in your clothes. What's this? DF, huh? You do read everything, don't you? This is no goddamn book. Somebody or something is rotten in the company. You never complained till yesterday. You didn't start killing my friends till yesterday. Who's she? Who hit the Lit Society? We had a big meeting about that. Your name came up. Five continents import. Ring a bell? Where'd you get that? The mailman. Mailman. The one you sent. You know, the one with the uniform, cute little leather pouch, automatic gun. You can never use mailman. Would you also happen to be familiar with a very tall gentleman, about six foot four, blonde hair, strong like a farmer, not American, accent, country, near Germany, maybe Alsace-Lorraine? So you hear the music changing there. That's because it's going to the shot of Max von Sydow in his like hotel room painting miniature figurines. And he's this hitman. And I do like how they have... Uh, the how the editing works out in a lot of those scenes where you still hear them talking in the previous scene about something and then it's you see the visual of that person in you know a a, a, a very different type of setting than you would imagine them in so yeah i i really like that that way to get and kind of bring it over to to uh joubert max von Sydow's character yeah, yes. Strong like a farmer. Yeah. He's yeah, he's really wonderful. Um I like I said before, I love him in this movie. I think that uh you know, he, I mean, pour one out. That he's definitely yeah. one that we will uh miss for sure. He's kind of just been around and seemingly very old for such a long time <laughs> and uh you know, does it well, though this is, I feel like, the youngest I remember really seeing him, because even when, in, like, in The Exorcist, he's dressed old. Yeah. No, yeah. He, he, he's def- he's playing older in The Exorcist. Yeah. Definitely. And and I also have to say, I really enjoyed John Houseman. Yeah, John Houseman's great. And he's got one of Wabash. my favorite lines in this movie. And it's it's where they're they're talking about... 
he he's referencing something that happened after like after World War One, and he's oh, talking yeah. about how yeah, and he talks about how they called how they they would just called it the Great War, and he said it was before we knew enough to number them. Right. Yeah. That line hit me. I was like, oh man. I was it, it's because it, it's also this moment of like you've got this guy who's like this cold like intelligence right higher up and you're kind of not sure what to make of him for most of the, I mean he he does tell them like you know just get rid of Turner right but, and then he has this line that that is like he's he, like this guy's not maybe not a war hawk so much and maybe like he actually is in this business to keep peace because he's experienced the horrors of of mm-hmm. war yeah, but love John. Was John Houseman? Did he was he the driving instructor in the Naked Gun? Uh, let's see. I have his filmography pulled up. That'd be really weird if it was. I feel like he definitely like that's that's got to be him. I'm just imagining him like. Uh, yeah, your, that's him. Make the next turn, Stephanie. That's him. Yeah, extend your arm. <laughs> that, I the middle love finger. That scene. Yeah. That's amazing. That's so I good. love that John Houseman did that. And man, the paper chase. If you've never seen the paper chase. I uh, you know what? I, I haven't seen that. Uh, check that a, out. Uh, it's a good movie. Yeah. So uh yeah, I mean, we could really go into more of the nitty-gritty, but basically he discovers that there's a CIA within the CIA, and some people know about it, some people don't. He manages to track down the guy who's heading it up and discovers that it's all about oil in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. So uh, to give a little bit more information, the reason why all of his colleagues got killed and he was supposed to get killed is because he found in a book a passage that he uh, had like essentially scanned into this machine that analyzes to see if it like cross-references any actual active like... CIA codes and um, missions and things like that. So well, he, he submitted a report and because he submitted that report, which he was notified that it not, it turned up nothing. The CIA within the CIA actually knows that it very much is related to, because I think that it's a book from Belgium. I don't know. Well, no, I think it, no, it's, it's, I think in an American book, but he, because Turner, he makes the point of saying like this book didn't like, wasn't very successful. Why is it translated into all these languages? Oh, right, 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 right. So, and and yeah, and they're they're talking about like that. You know, play the scene. Play the scene. Who are you? What are you doing here? I'm Condor. Sit down. What do you do for a living? Don't be ridiculous. What do you do? Exactly. Deputy Director of Operations. What section? Middle East. What are you working on? 
you doing? What's the secret worth murdering everybody at the ALHS house? There's no secret. Wick showed you my report. What report? Yes. It was your network I turned up. Doing what? Doing what? What does operations care about a bunch of goddamn books? A book in Dutch. A book out of Venezuela. Mystery stories in Arabic. Wait, what the hell is so important about... Oil fields. That's it, isn't it? This whole damn thing was about oil. Wasn't it? Wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, so... It's Reliance interesting to on see fossil fuels dangerous. <laughs> it's interesting to see him, you know, work out everything in his head in real time um there's a lot of moments where that kind of happens where he kind of like pieces things together on camera and i i'm i'm glad you mentioned that because as i was you know watching that scene and noticing thinking back to the music the suspense and uh just movies from like the 1970s in and i mean not just the 1970s but compared to now the silence right yeah. And we're allowed to, as the audience, it's kind of like we're being trusted uh -huh. to that we're invested and we're following along as well. And that maybe, you know, we're, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't see how anyone could be putting that together in the audience. But what do I know? I'm not an intelligence officer. Right. But uh, that's something it, an intelligence officer would say. Hmm. <laughs> uh, so it's, I, I, I love that and I appreciate that about it and that we're given, you know, the, these moments of, of silence. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that believable. we're missing a lot these days. Yeah. 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 So, so speaking of these days, Dan, uh, what would you do with a movie like this? What would I do with a movie like this? Well, uh, I was thinking, I was thinking ser of a series, and now there has already been a series adapted, okay, uh, from it called uh, Condor, and it's. It starred. I I don't know that it's still in uh that it's still in production. I think it uh was like 2015. Okay. And it uh yeah. So it it was for uh audience uh yeah like the the net the audience network. Oh. So okay. It was called uh yeah called Condor. And uh, where Joe Turner was played by uh, Max Irons. Okay. Of, son of Jeremy. Uh, and 
Yeah. So that was it was basically a, a remake. And they did one season because not the show didn't get canceled. Audience got canceled. Yeah. That makes and, more sense. Oh, wait. Sense. There was a second season that premiered in uh, so, uh, premiered June 9th, 2020. So. Oh, wow. A year ago. Yeah. The <laughs> day we're recording we're, this. We're recording this on June 20th. On, uh, it looks like uh, European uh, uh, Irish, uh, an Irish network, R- huh, interesting. RTE2, and uh, Seymour Entertainment. Okay. So, which is, uh, uh, it was Canal Plus. Uh, and Got this, it. and like, yeah, they're mostly in Nordic countries. Interesting. So, 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 yes, there's been a, a quasi remake, but it, yeah, that's, that's, where where it was i could see this and i'd be interested to go back and look at the book and maybe take the book and it seemed like this would make for a good hbo uh-huh thing you know uh a la like mayor of east town or sure not, n- you know clearly not not the same i haven't seen it but not not the oh, same it's thing, great. but just like kind of that uh that you know limited uh, limited series, and maybe uh-huh. that's where you know you could limit it a little bit less and and bring back the other three days of the Condor. And, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, why not? Why not have six days of the Condor? I mean, have uh, you know each each episode is a different is a different day of the Condor. There's six day episodes one of the Condor. Them. Why not? There uh, there were also some other novels. That were that are kind of like in in the series, uh huh. And so there was a there's a 1978 uh, sequel called Shadow of the Condor. I think they were trying to turn Condor into like Bourne into Jason Bourne. Well, who, I think yeah. Jason Bourne was around. Was was Jason Bourne? Uh, oh, this you know I don't know the first Jason Bourne, but, uh, and then there were, there were two more sequels called next day of the condor and last days of the condor. Okay. Which both came out in 2015. I don't know much more about them, but interesting. So interesting that there was this big, like push in 2015 to get more condor out in the world. Yeah, you know, I mean, it it took it had been uh you know a good what, forty years, you know, with sure. without we have forty years of the you know a lot of years of the condor that are unaccounted for. So there you go. We need to we need to do that. But yeah, I I I I couldn't really think of much else. I feel like to remake it as a film, uh huh. It just it, it doesn't fit in today's like cinematic landscape which i feel like i feel like the cinematic landscape of 2021 is like all on it's either all on one end of the spectrum with your your franchises your big like action franchises and then there's the other end of the spectrum where it's like your your nomad land and parasite and yeah i don't want to say oscar bait but just movies that are uh, you know, more original and and not big. We don't have big blockbusters well, well, that are also, like. Well, also, this movie came out in 1975. It's in the wake of Watergate. It's in response mm-hmm. to Watergate, and 
luckily, we are living in a time right now where, you know, the the mistrust from the mistrust of the government is kind of on the side that isn't quite making movies. If you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, it's it's a different political landscape so that it wouldn't quite make as much sense at least in America to do something these days. Well, and that's and the other thing is I I don't think I would update it like I would right. do I would set it in the 70s if I was going to do, you know, an HBO uh, you know, miniseries, Six Days of the Condor. Right, but also it's it doesn't have anything to do so much with the time that you're setting the piece. It's the time that you're releasing it because you're, you know, a movie like this was really trying to say something about the government at that time. And, uh, you know, even releasing something right now just doesn't send the same message. No. Because, yeah. you know, when you watch these things, you, you're you aware of the context. You're aware of, like, what's going on in the world. And that well, was that was kind of in vogue at the time to really be, you know, challenging the government. Well, and also at that time, I'm pretty sure that the general public was all getting their news from the same, like one of three sources, right? That were yeah. all that, and those news sources were not they were not going for for ratings. This was you know public network news, part of their you know, responsibility for having access to the airwaves, mm-hmm. providing factual news. And it wasn't anchor people, uh, you know, exerting their views on it. It was anchor anchor people just, you know, delivering the news. It was why it was such a big deal when Walter Cronkite showed emotion after Kennedy's death was because yeah. reporters, that wasn't supposed to be, now it's, you know, uh, now journalism is more of a you know it's emotional more emotional involvement well dan you're also forgetting about the scene in three days of the condor where he's watching the news and they it is fake news it is said that wicks and sam were working for an insurance company fake news right yes but at least the same fake news was on every news channel it wasn't like that's true cbs was I'm, like they work for this and then they, around yeah 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 no uh no no i mean that's a, and and that's the thing is it's not it's i'm sure there was still manipulation of the media but it wasn't like now now depending on where you get your news and information from you could be believing a, a totally different set of facts uh-huh just because of like cable news can you know, can do that or, or that that's where we are. And yeah. then it, it, it was, it, you know, different it, it more in the consistency of, of the news. So in everybody, the general public basically got the same mm-hmm. facts, right? Whether or not they were facts. Yeah. <laughs> so what would you do? Well, Musical. I was, I know. No, not musical. I was kind of in the same boat that you were, where it's like, 
you know, yes, there were these series that happened and and more because another thing I was thinking is like, I don't know, a continuation of the character in novels, but that's already been done. So I think that a um, just a, a graphic novel interpretation of this story, I think, would be really entertaining. Um, stylistically, there's so much going on here that uh, I feel a graphic artist would have a lot of fun with. You know, especially keeping it in that time. Could also draw uh, Turner to not be Robert Redford. Well, or keep it as Robert Redford, you know? Maybe a a hybrid Redford-Hoffman. Oh, boy. Like kind of like a a Brundlefly of... (laughs) Oh, geez. Brundlefly. My God. That took me a second. (laughs) Yes. If you put Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman... In 1975, in the machine from the fly, what would you get? Which, by the way, talk about somebody else who would have been a great Joe Turner, maybe not quite like that far back. Jeff Goldblum. He would have made an interesting, let's see, has he ever done any kind of like, you know, mystery, thriller kind of thing? I'm trying to think. He must have. At some point, he's been in so many things. He's been in so many things, yeah. Um, but anyway, I, uh, I don't know. That's all I got. The, the graphic novel I think would be kind of cool. Uh, uh just yeah. cause I love the style of this all, uh, you know, and, and then in a graphic novel, you don't have to worry about the music. So there's that. That's, you could, you know, play whatever you could play the score from the firm while you're, you could, while you're reading it. You absolutely yeah. could. A- yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Dan, do you want to tell everyone what we're going to be doing in our next episode of ruined childhoods? Yes, and it, of course, this occurred to me once we started recording. But it is a we 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 did a Ricky we did a coincidental Ricky Lake double feature. Now we're doing a coincidental Max von Sydow double feature. Oh, you're because right. we're doing Flash, oh, Defender of the Universe, Flash Gordon from nineteen eighty. I'm very Star- excited. Max von Sydow, Topol Melody Anderson, and Sam Jones as Flash Gordon. Oh my God, Timothy Dalton is in this too. That's right. Yes. It's going to be great. Very excited. Yeah. Well, Dan, while you are uh, riding the streets of New York in your stolen Ford Bronco, I wish you a good journey. Good journey. With a plain and simple dream Wanna infiltrate some third world place And topple their regime Those men in black with their mansion suitcases Where everything's on a need-to-know basis Agents got that swagger Everyone's so cloak and dagger I'm feeling nervous but I'm really kinda wishing For an undercover mission That's when the red alert came on the radio And I put my earpiece on Got my dark sunglasses In the files like it. I'm in my rise, all the enemies fight. I gotta neutralize today. Yeah, it's a party in the CIA. Yeah, it's a party in the CIA. 
I've done a couple of crazy things that have almost gotten me dismissed. Like terminate some head of state who wasn't even on my list. Burn that microfilm, buddy, will you? I tell you why, but then I'd have to kill you. You need a quickie confession. We'll start a waterboarding session. No hurry on this South American dictator. I'll assassinate him later. That's when he walked right in my laser sights. And my silencer was on. And my silencer was on. And another target's gone. Yeah, we got a flag up all over the world. From Kazakhstan to Bombay. Paying the bribes like yeah. Plugging the leaks like yeah. Interrogating the scum of the earth. We'll break them by the break of day. See you. 